want to turn and look at our scripture for a sermon that can be found uh, in the back of your bulletin. This is Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Hear the words of the Lord. I mean that the heir, as long as he as a child, is no different from the slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you recognize the name Olazua Equiano. Maybe, maybe not. He was in the movie Amazing Grace, the story of Robert William Wilberforce. Equiano was a slave who had been freed. He was kidnapped as a child in his native Nigeria and was taken to the British West Indies where he was sold as a slave to work in the sugar plantations, which he did for most of his life until he eventually purchased his freedom in 1766. When he went back, when he went to England, he wrote and published his autobiography, The Interesting Narrative of the Life of Oladwa Equiano, which depicted the horrors of slavery. It actually went through nine different editions as it spread like wildfire through the British crown as people read for the first time the horrors of slavery. And it was instrumental in helping Wilberforce gain the passage of the British Slave Trade Act of 1807, which abolished the African slave trade. Equiano was a slave, and then he was set free. What a terrible thing to be kidnapped, taken away from your homeland, and put into slavery. I think the only worst thing would be this. What if you were a slave, and you didn't even know it? I think that's what the scripture here is telling us. The passage is telling us that as members of the human race, we were born into slavery under the law. The law of Moses, the law of God. But this slavery that we were born into was not intended to hurt us, but rather to lead us to a salvation through a Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the story of the Bible, the story of humanity, is God moving us from slaves to sons and daughters. And what the scripture is saying is that you no longer have to live as a slave. Rather, because of what Jesus Christ has done, you can live not as a slave, but as a son and daughter of God. The main point of what I'm going to speak on for the next three hours is simply this. Jesus has moved us from the status of slaves to sons and daughters. So choose to live as a son and daughter of God, not as a slave. But we're going to look at three specific points that we need to take a look at if we're going to understand what it means to live as free people. Number one, we need to understand that we were once slaves. We need to understand the condition we were in. Maybe the condition that you may still be in now. 
Number two, we need to understand that God sent Jesus to free us from slavery. God has sent someone to redeem us and set us free, his son. And finally, number three, that we need to know how to live as a son and daughter of God. So let's begin with point number one, understanding that you were once a slave. Galatians 4.1 says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. I'm sort of picking up this passage in mid-argument. Last week we talked about how Paul was arguing and saying that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the son of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. But now he's expanding his argument to talk about who we were and who we are in Christ. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Paul is using an illustration. And he's saying, take a, a house, a household, a Greek or Roman household back then. And there would be the father, the patriarch of the estate, and he would have children. And one of those children, the oldest, the oldest son was going to be an heir. But of course, he hadn't come into his inheritance yet. There was a process that he would need to go through. He would begin as a child. And what Paul is saying is he's likening being a child to being under the Mosaic law. There was a, there was a, a, a rules that they lived under before they became the master of the house. They, had, they were under a master, and that master was the law. And the law, he even goes further in pushing the illustration, treated them uh, as a slave. Notice, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. In other words, that child is under control of something else. He's not free. He has to do what that master tells him to do. The master has his eye on them and is evaluating his conduct and his obedience. And Paul is saying that the law was our master. Galatians 4.2, but he is under guardians and managers. Notice the word under, that this child was under the pedagogos, as we've been talking about. If you weren't there for that sermon, the master of the house, the father would appoint someone. They were called a pedagogos. Their responsibility to us to watch over that child, to watch over that child's education, to be the disciplinarian, if you will, over that child, to be lord over them. You see, that child, much like our children, when they are young, can't do anything that they want, right? They have to obey. But the Pythagoras was especially stern. His job was to discipline any mistake, point out any fault, criticize any imperfection. Now, all illustrations break down at some point, because the role of the Pythagoras, even though it was harsh, was for his own good. He had to obey, and he had to obey until the date set by his father. Only the father knew at the time when the Pythagoras would be sent away, when he would come, if you will, into freedom, into mastery of himself. In the same way, verse 3 says, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He's saying that you and I, 
experienced, have experienced the same thing that that child did back in Greek and Roman times. There was a Pythagoras that was set over us. Notice it says that we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Well, that actually has a double meaning. This word elementary principles in the Greek can mean two things. The first is it means uh, elementary ABCs. For instance, you go to elementary school. He's saying that we were under the elementary ABCs of God's hand. In the Old Testament, the law, if you will, was designed to give us a rudimentary education of who God was like, to teach us the ABCs. But he takes it even further to say we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I don't know that our children are enslaved to elementary school. Though some would say most definitely they are. Now he's saying not only elementary in the sense of rudimentary, but elementary principles can also be taken to mean elementary spirits. In other words, the devil, Satan, took a good thing, the law, and he twisted it. Just as a bad guardian who has influence over someone can use his power to tyrannize, so Satan exploited the law to tyrannize us who were under it. You see, God intended the law to reveal sin and to drive men to Christ. But Satan uses it to reveal sin and to drive men to despair. God meant the law as an interim step to man's justification. But Satan used it as the final step to his condemnation. God meant the law to be a stepping stone to liberty. But Satan uses it as a cul-de-sac, deceiving people into supposing that from the fearful bondage of the law, there is no escape. You and I were enslaved to the elementary principles of the law, excuse me, of the world. And if you're not a Christian yet, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you still are, whether you realize it or not. Ephesians 2, 1 puts it this way, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. The truth is, we have experienced the tyranny of the law, haven't we? The tyranny of knowing what it is that we're supposed to do, and yet being unable to do it. Indeed, something in our spirits rebelling under doing what is right. We've experienced the despair of hearing the whisper of Satan, who says that you don't measure up. You'll never measure up. God doesn't care about you. There is no plan for you. He uses the law and twists it, because all the law can do is condemn. All it can do is point out our need for the Savior. But Satan tries to mask out the reality that salvation has come in Christ. We've all experienced the condemnation, the despair, and the tyranny of the evil one using the law to punish us again and again and again. One of the ways that Wilberforce, if you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, you should definitely see it. It was a fantastic movie, but one of the ways Wilberforce had to awaken the eyes of Britain to the realities and the horrors of the slave trade. And so one of his strategies is he would uh, take the MPs, he was an MP, a Minister of Parliament, on a cruise. 
uh, in, the, in the harbor of Britain. And as they were going on a cruise, he would bring them near the slave ships where they would begin to smell the odor of the unsanitary conditions of the slave ships. And they would want to go away and as they would ask, hey, go over there. It was Wilberforce would stop. And he would communicate what went on these ships. That as these people were kidnapped, they would be bound in shackles, laying. You've seen the pictures as the entire deck was covered with people, living cargo, multiple decks, where they could not even move for the entire passage. And a percentage of people would be lost, but it was just business. He awakened their eyes to the reality of the plight of these people, that they had no freedom, that no one cared for them, that there was no future, that people were treated as a number and not a name. And that's what it means when you are a slave, doesn't it? Do you remember what it was like to be a slave under the law and under Satan? To be found guilty by the law? To hear the whispers of condemnation, you'll never measure up. You'll always fail. Do you remember the despair of looking in the mirror and knowing that you don't measure up? Maybe you're just waking up to that right now. Maybe that's why you're in church today. Because you're looking for answers. Because the only thing worse than being a slave is not realizing that you are one. See, Satan has so deceived us that we thought this is what it was supposed to be like. But there is another way. This brings me to my second point, that God has sent Jesus to free us from slavery. But, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. That word but right at the beginning is a powerful word, is it not? For it signals the turn, the transition from slavery to freedom. But when the fullness of time had come, See, Christianity is not a fairy tale. It's not a once upon a time there was a. An actual person was born named Jesus Christ, God's Son, who was born of a woman, born under law, at a specific time in history, which we happen to measure time by all around the world with our calendar. When God decided enough was enough, there was time to send the Pythagoras away. It was time to bring freedom to a captive humanity. God sent forth His Son. God didn't send forth an angel, an emissary, a book, or a sign. He sent forth His Son, His one and only Son. And He sent Him forth from the glorious riches and the majesty of heaven into a stable in a nowhere country to a pregnant teenager who was on the way. Jesus was born. But before Jesus was born, He was sent. Marvel at that mystery. That He was born of a woman. 
He was born as a child of humanity, like you and me. See, if he had not been a man, he could not have redeemed men. If he had not been a righteous man, he could not have redeemed unrighteous men and women. But if he had not been God's son, he could not have redeemed men and women for God, or made them sons of God. <laughs> see, we see that God's purpose was to take us from slavery all the way to sonship. As the God-man, Jesus Christ is the bridge. <laughs> and see, so he was born of a woman under law. He was born under the slavery and tyranny of the law, just like we were. But the difference is that those who live under the law, as noted, as I've noted, live under the dominion and tyranny of sin. For Jesus, however, is the exception that proves the rule. Jesus wasn't born under the tyranny of sin, but rather delighted in doing God's law and was able to do God's law from the beginning to the end. Did Jesus not say, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does? For the Son obeys the Father and always pleases Him. Jesus, the true Son of God, lived obediently to God's law, where all others, you and me, violated God's law. Jesus lived the perfect life. He broke the tyranny of the law through His obedience to the law. And why did He come and do this? Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. Under the tyranny and slavery of the law. I don't know if we still practice redemption in the grocery store. I remember it as a kid taking my Coke bottles back for a nickel, right? Remember they were written on the bottle, to redeem, take back to the store, and they would give you money? Because the word redeem literally means to buy back. Redemption means to buy back. So God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to buy back those who were under the law. Jesus Christ's mission was a rescue mission. It was a mission to save you and me from the tyranny of Satan under the law, to bring us to the freedom of God. Why did he care? Because he looked down on our miserable condition and he saw that we were sold as slaves to sin through the law, under bondage. And there is no good father who wants to see his children lost and in slavery. Anyone who's a parent can understand what I'm talking about as they worry and fret over their children. They want them to experience the freedom of life. God looks upon you and me like that. See, God knew from the beginning that we were heirs. Doesn't it say that? But until the chosen time, the fullness of time, God allowed this so that we could see the reality that we need a Savior. How it must have been painful for God the Father to wait for the redemption of His children. I remember when Rielan and I felt God's call to adopt 
And, you know, when you're going to adopt, you really don't know what you're getting into, particularly when you're adopting internationally. So we went down to Nicaragua, went to an orphanage, and uh, we saw our uh, daughter-to-be, even though we didn't know it there. It's very interesting orphanages down there. This place was in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't even a road to it. And there was a cage around the entire orphanage. Why? Well, because when you call the police, they don't necessarily come. Everybody's on their own. And so they were imprisoned, if you will, so that no one would hurt them from without. But they couldn't escape from within either. It was when we saw the deplorable conditions. And if, as we drove to the orphanage, whenever you stop on the road, you are besieged by children who come up to wash your windows or to try to sell something. They're all living on the street. And as we were seeing this reality, in particular, we saw something. That this was the future for this child. Our daughter has some special needs. What would the future be like on the streets of Nicaragua for someone like that? See, you've got to have your wits to be able to survive in that type of environment. Because the world is a very cruel place. And so we had to make a decision to be but the decision really was already made from the time that we saw her. For God gave us the heart of parents. The difference between us and God is that nobody gave him the heart of parents for you and me as children. He's always had it. From before the time he even made us. And so he sent forth his son in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem his children. Jesus Christ took our place because the cross was our sentence, eternity apart from the Father. And he stepped into the gap. It's Jesus that has moved us from the status of slave to sons. And so we must choose to live as a son of God, not as a slave of Satan. This brings me to my final point. If we are sons of Christ and daughters through Christ, let us live as such. Verse 5 and 6 finish with this, that he sent forth his son under the fullness of law to redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons. <laughs> Notice that God's purpose was, not, was both to redeem and to adopt. It's not just one without the other. I think sometimes we think that about God. All right, he knew he had to rescue us. So he kind of got us out of that bad situation and he sent us to that shelter over there. He said, there, you're safe. Have a nice day. But no, his purpose was both to redeem and adopt. Not just to rescue from slavery, but to make slaves into sons. See, the whole book of Galatians is this argument to them. That you, even though you are Gentiles, are now adopted into God's family as his children. He did all this so that we might receive 
adoption as sons. When you wear that cross, or when you see a cross, look at it and understand that all of that which he did was so that you and me might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That was the whole plan. It's not void of meaning, it's not empty, it's filled with the heart and love of God. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice that God's gone even further than changing our last name in the record books. What father doesn't want to save their child and then not let their child know that they love them? The whole point of saving us was because he wanted to be near us. He wanted to begin that relationship and foster it to fullness at the end of all time. So because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Notice God has sent the Spirit of the Son. Not God will send the Spirit or might send the Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the guarantee from the Scriptures that the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which He has sent through His Holy Spirit, is living and residing in your heart. His body is in heaven, and He's in heaven, and yet through His Holy Spirit, He is here as well, closer than anyone could ever be. Now, why did God do this? Why did God send the Spirit of His Son into our hearts? I think there's two reasons. The first is so we would have an inward sense of the seal that the Father has put on us, that we are His children. That we would have a guarantee in our hearts of hearts that we would understand and know that we are His. And that our future inheritance is with Him. But I think it's even deeper. I think it is because otherwise we would not know how to live as if God were our Father. How would we understand such a thing if we weren't to learn it from someone who was already His Son? See, the Spirit, first, uh, we don't know how to live as if He's our Father. Romans 8.16 says it this way though. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And it's with this Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. When we brought Maria home, it's a strange thing if you've had a parent all your life. Of course you know what it means to have a mother and a father. You've always had one. But if you're an orphan, you really don't have a clue. In particular, people would come and they would go. And you love them, and then the next person would come along. You learn to use people, actually, to get love. Because you get it where you can. I think the place, honestly, where Maria learned, more than anyone, how to be a child of her mother and me, was through her brothers. Through Will and Daniel and Mark. Watching them interact watching their boldness and brazenness as they came to us, asking for whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. She learned from them, and we learned from Jesus. 
Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Saying, look, here's how you do it, Brenda. Here's how you do it, Scott. Here's how you do it, Leo. Abba, Father, Dad. Because you are a child of God. The whole point of this book, and the whole point of what God has done is this. This is who you are. Don't go back to slavery. Why would you ever go back to that orphanage when you could live in the house of your father and your mother? So Christian, that is your inheritance. Live. I don't, I don't know how to live as a child of my father. Ask Jesus. Pray to the Spirit of Christ. I don't have a clue. I feel like an orphan. I act like an orphan. Teach me how to be loved and to love. Maybe you have not yet been introduced to Jesus Christ, the one who came to rescue you, to redeem you. Maybe it's time to come home to your father and your mother. It's not complicated. It's simply saying, I can have the world or I can have you. I choose you. Because in the end, all you're going to get from the world is heartbreak. It can't love you, it can't redeem you, and it can't free you. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it for the full. Have it to the full. So in conclusion, Jesus has moved us from the status of slaves to sons and daughters of God. That's the reality if you are a Christian. But you can choose how you want to live. In slavery, or alongside the Son of God, crying, Abba, Father. The time of freedom is now in Jesus Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let us not yet again be burdened by the yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father, the story of this book is the story of rescue. It's the story even deeper of the Father and His children. How great is the love that You have lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Lord, help us to rest and help us to learn from our elder brother Jesus what it means to live in the freedom of the children of God. I pray that no one would leave this church without having given their lives and their hopes to Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in His name. Amen.